Alright, hey, good morning. Uh, as you guys find your way to your seats, let me remind you, we've got uh, Bibles available on our connection table uh, if you are in need of one this morning. Uh, if, uh, if you have one, open up or turn on to uh, Genesis chapter 26. That's where we're going to be. Um, in case I don't know you, again, my name is Kirk and I am uh, the pastor here. Uh, if you're new, if I haven't met you, I want to meet you. Uh, so I'm going to, after service, try to make my way back to the connection table. I usually try to hang out there. If I don't make it, I'll be right here. Uh, so not here, but like more like over here somewhere. So uh, catch up with me. I would love to. Uh, I'd love to chat and just uh, and just say just say hi. So uh, we are continuing to work through the book of Genesis. Uh, which is uh, interesting because uh, at D now this past weekend uh, we uh, we were in the book of Genesis. We're a little further along in the story at this point. Okay, uh, so we are uh, 26 chapters in, uh, and uh, man, what a what a journey! What a what a fun time that it has been over the past uh, the past couple of months. The the first of five books that make up what is referred to as the Torah, recorded by Moses for the people of God, preparing to, as we have said on countless occasions over the last eight months, take possession of a land that had been promised to them as a part of God's covenant with his people. Themes that we have explored over the past eight months include... So it serves as a, as a synopsis, right? It's some familiar language for those of us who spent the past couple days in, uh, in the early chapters of, of Genesis. Themes that we've explored have included the faithfulness of God. Right? I feel like we are almost a, a broken record the way that we've been, way we've been hammering the faithfulness of God, the way that we see this again and again and again each week. We continue to go back to it uh, and, uh, and articulate it and rest upon it. Uh, we see the reliability of God's word. This has again been another prevalent theme. And his working to bring uh, his rebellious creation back to himself. Good news, this includes you and, uh, you and I. Two ideas that we are going to uh, lean into this morning from Genesis chapter 26. As we consider God's divine provision surrounded by adversity. As Trevor was reading for us Genesis chapter 26, perhaps you, you noticed that there was, there was a lot going on there, right? I mean, we covered a lot of ground over the course of uh, how, many verses, how many verses was it? 35 verses. And much of what we see is, uh, is, is adverse, right? It's challenging and difficult circumstance that we'll talk more about as we, as we kind of continue on in our time together this morning. But, but through the adverse circumstance that we observe in Genesis chapter 26... As we reflect back on the 25 chapters that preceded, we see God exercising divine provision, uh, bringing about his his will and his, his purpose. Two ideas, two big ideas that we're going to trace through chapter 26 this morning. Make note of these. Write these down if you are a a note taker, which I would, as always, encourage you to be. Number one, uh, God's blessing in response to faithful obedience. We're going to observe from Genesis chapter 26, God's blessing in response to faithful obedience. That's number one. Number two, God's covenant commitment, securing blessing, In spite of human disobedience. Let me give it to you again. God's covenant commitment, securing blessing in spite of human disobedience. 
So we're on two ends of the spectrum here, right? We're going to be talking about, about God's blessing and faithful obedience, and then we're going to be talking about God's commitment to extend blessing and secure blessing in spite of human disobedience. Initially, that seems to be a bit contradictory, doesn't it? But hang with us. It's all going to, uh, it's all going to come together in the end. So let's work on part one. God's blessing in response to faithful obedience. Look with me at Genesis 26, verse 1. This is where we're going to start our time. Genesis 26, verse 1. Look at what Moses has to, uh, to, to say here. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerir, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. So as we come into chapter 26, one thing that we find is that there is this famine taking place. Right? There's a, a time stamp of, of sorts, a mark of life under the fall. Needy people, lacking, needed daily provision. As a result, Isaac travels to Greer to meet with Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Now this is certainly the same location that we see in Genesis chapter 20 and 21. If you've been with us for some time, there's some familiar language, there's some familiar players as we come into this story, we know, based on what we read here, that it is the same location as that which we observed in the life of, of Abraham and his interaction in Greer in Genesis chapter 20 and 21. Is it the same Abimelech that we see engaged with Abraham? Perhaps. And we don't exactly know. It could, it could very easily be his son or even his grandson. This is a really common uh, name at the time. Moses doesn't tell us directly of his identity. There's a certain degree of clarity that's lacking from verse 1 in terms of who these characters, who these individuals are. However, that cannot be said from verse 2. Right, if verse 1 is lacking any type of clarity, if we're walking away, we're going, is this the same Abimelech? Is this not the same Abimelech? If it is the same Abimelech, that's going to serve to be really interesting. If it's different, then it's just, uh, you know, it's crazy as, as well. But as we come into verse 2, there is total clarity. Look with me there. It says in verse 2 that the Lord appeared to him. Now, who is him? Isaac, Right? The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. That's an interesting command, isn't it? Why this, why this caveat? Why this piece of instruction from the Lord to Isaac? Now in Genesis chapter 24, let me take us back for just a moment. This is going to serve to be really helpful in helping us understand why the Lord's instruction not to go down to Egypt. In Genesis 24, we discussed Abraham's specific instruction for his servant Eleazar. Do you remember this? Yes? His instruction to Eleazar, his faithful servant, is to venture out of Canaan towards his homeland to find for his son Isaac a bride. Eleazar is charged with this task as opposed to Isaac because, as we mentioned, as we found ourselves in Genesis chapter 24, Isaac's place was in the land. 
Like there was there was no desire from Abraham to send Isaac back home to search out a wife for himself because there was this certain degree, perhaps, of concern that he may not return to the land that he was to be abiding in. That he would instead decide just to just to settle down, having met a nice girl, get married, have some have some kids, and not come back to this to this covenant land, this this promised land, to this location that the Lord is super specific that he and, and his father are to be residing in. All of this serves to assist with our understanding of Genesis chapter 26. There's a famine in the land, but Isaac, your place is not in Egypt. Your place is is here. So continuing on in verse 2. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Now a number of months ago, actually maybe close to a year ago now, we worked our way through the book of of Ruth. And in Ruth chapter 1, we observe God's people again in a season of famine. This time, one particular family exercising disobedience as they leave the city of bread, Bethlehem, in this time of famine to pursue greener pastures. And as we worked through the book of Ruth, we talked about how how outrageous this location shift and this move was, given that this is the place that God's people are to be, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of adverse circumstances. Now we find ourselves flipping back in the story, and we see that it's nothing new, that the Lord again here is very specific with Isaac. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Don't go down to Egypt. But instead, in the midst of famine, remain here. Sojourn in this land, he says in verse 3. And I will be with you, and I will bless you. Now hold on to that, okay? That's going to be really important. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and will Bless you. This is the promise of the Lord. As we read it, we're actually reminded of this certain connection in verses 2 and 3 between the instruction of God and the assurance of His presence. How powerful is that? Less than two whole verses in, we find this beautiful, profound, comforting truth from God to Isaac in the midst of difficulty that would serve to encourage the people of God throughout the course of human history. Things are tight. Sustenance is is scarce. And you are wanderers in the land. We see this in verses 2 and 3. Even still, God says what? He says, I am with you. Right? I'm I'm with you and I will bless you. So, what does this blessing look like? Well, God continues through verse 3. He actually elaborates on it. That's a fair question to ask. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna bless Isaac, but but to what extent? How does this how does this look? How does this fare? Look with me at verse 3. The Lord continues, he says, For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, 
And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. So we're revisiting something here. Hold on to that. We're going to go back to it in just a moment. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring, again, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Have we heard this before? Yeah, we, we, we have. This sounds very much like the promise that God makes to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Affirmed it at numerous points throughout the Lord's interaction with Abraham. This sounds a, a lot like the promise that God makes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. In response to his obedience to sacrifice his son Isaac as God had instructed. Why don't we go back there? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 verse 10. We're going we're gonna to flip back. As we find ourselves here in chapter 26, we know that Abraham has passed on, that Isaac is the new uh, patriarch of the family, right? But as we go back to Genesis chapter 22, we actually find Isaac, at that point in the story, being around 16 years old. His father is still alive and, and well. And we see this recorded for us in verse 10. And we're connecting all this back to what we see here in chapter 26 and the promise observed in verse 3. Genesis 22 verse 10. Abraham reached out his hand. And he took the knife to slaughter his son. Now this is after the call of the Lord has come to Abraham. The instruction is clear. Take Isaac to the mountain that I will show you and sacrifice him. Alright, so they, they cut the wood. They, they pile it up on the, on the donkey. They venture out, unload and reload off the donkey onto Isaac. Abraham looks at his servants and he tells them, we will be back. Our major emphasis in that particular portion was Abraham's confidence, even at this point, in the power of God to resurrect the dead. Again, in connection with the promise that he knows is to be brought about. They work their way up the mountain. Isaac looks over to his father and he says what? He says, we've got a lot of stuff here. Right? We got, we got wood. I'm feeling the weight of it, literally. <laughs> right? We've got a, a knife. Got some fire. But where is the offering? What was Abraham's assurance to his son? Right, that the Lord will provide. There's this emphasis on the, on the provision of the Lord. Even as they are marching up the mountain. Even as Abraham prepares to, to sacrifice his son. Even as Isaac, in this particular scene, gives himself in, in faithful obedience and submission to his, to his father. Back into verse 10. Abraham reaches his hand out. He takes the knife to slaughter his son. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. 
Seeing you have not withheld your, your son, your only son from me. Verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he, and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. We see the son is spared. Verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham. We're going somewhere. Hang with me here. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. That is a, a, a crucial statement from the Lord as it pertains to the promise that he is about to extend to Abraham. That he's going to reaffirm here to Abraham. He says, Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely what? Bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This grand redemptive promise that we enjoy tracing throughout the entirety of Scripture. All of this, why? Verse 18. Because you have obeyed my voice. To which perhaps we say, wait, <laughs> how, how was Abraham obedient to the Lord when he never actually completed the act of sacrifice? At least as it relates to, to Isaac, there was this intervention, wasn't there? The author to the Hebrews helps us to understand how this works as he writes in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. <coughs> and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. What do we learn from this about Abraham's obedience, despite the appearance of a, a stopping just short of? A willingness, but never an actual, never an actual act. Abraham, in light of what the author to the Hebrews has to say, was so committed and so confident in the power and the plan of God that it was as though he had already offered Isaac. Even while he was in the process of offering Isaac. Now I'm placing a ton of emphasis on this point. And here's why. Right, because the promise of Genesis 22 to Abraham passed on to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26 comes, verse 5, because Abraham obeyed my voice. We just read it in Genesis 22, verse 18. Right, because, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Because of Abraham's faith and his, his willingness to sacrifice to the Lord, his only son. Well, wait a second. He didn't sacrifice his son, but he did. Right? In, his, in his mind and in his, in his heart, it was as though Isaac was already sacrificed. 
He had and he, and he was sacrificing Isaac. From Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, we see an exercising of faith in God's mission to rescue and restore. Abraham has has faith in God and in the work of God and in the plan of God and the purposes of God and the mission of God going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Abraham has confidence in the plan, purpose, and mission of God as it pertains to what he heard for the first time as he's called out of idolatry and into intimacy with God in Genesis chapter 12. We see an exercising of faith in God to rescue sinners from righteous judgment. And we, we see an exercising of, of faith in God, restoring them into fellowship with himself and the rest of creation. On this side of history, we know that Abraham is able to, even in Genesis chapter 22, Look to and trust in Christ as the the fulfillment of God's promise to judge evil and to reconcile broken relationships. Abraham's obedience flowed from his faith. Okay, Abraham's obedience flowed from his faith. Faith in God to accomplish all the things that we have mentioned up until this point. It was a faith that was met with blessing. Right here, as we we just observe the first few verses of Genesis chapter 26, we see God associating his oath with Abraham's faith-empowered obedience. As a result, we can say this, from Isaac as well as you and I. That God desires our obedience. Right? That God desires our obedience. Now, I'm, I'm going to say something for just a moment. Right? And I want to speak to, to Christians that are, that are here. Right? If, you're, if you're a Christian here, then this, this pertains to you. I jokingly shared the same thing with Anna this morning. As we could not find the bread for the table, and Anna had to go to Eagles. To go pick it up. She missed all of our worship and music this morning. I said, I'm praying for you because I know it's been crazy over the past like 15 minutes as you've been trying to get bread that we keep coming to the table. Christian, your obedience matters. Okay, your, your obedience to God's instruction, it matters. So don't fall into the trap of discouragement. Okay, don't, don't fall into the trap of skepticism. This idea that your obedience to God, that your obedience to God's word, as you walk in line with his desires for your life, is somehow unimportant. Don't, don't, don't fall into it, right? Like, don't, don't believe it. Because it couldn't be further from the truth. Based on what we see here in Genesis 26, verse 5. God's blessing of Isaac is a byproduct of Abraham's trusting God. We see that clearly in verse 5. And as a result, moving forward in 
faithful obedience is the after effects, a byproduct of God's kindness to Abraham as he is made to understand his, God's, generosity and compassion. So let's tie all of this together for just a moment. God extends blessing as a result of faithful obedience. God extends blessing as a result of faithful obedience, and obedience that He empowers. Well, wait a second, where does that come from? Well, it's a part of the promise there in verse 3, isn't it? Now, obedience that He empowers as He goes with us. As a result... Understanding that our obedience matters. As Christians, we strive towards faithful practice of his instruction. We desire this, this familiarity with God's word. Understanding that we, as his people, are moving forward. In a posture of worship and humility and reliance, desiring to live and to practice faithful, God-honoring, spirit-empowered obedience. Grasping this from Genesis chapter 26, there is this certain expectation that you and I have as we transition into the second half of this passage and our second big point. Not only does God bless and responds to faithful obedience, verse 5, it says people walk in the good works prepared beforehand, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, but God's covenant commitment secures blessing in spite of human disobedience. In spite of of our disobedience, and in spite of what we are going to observe through the remainder of this passage, is Isaac's disobedience. Look with me at verse 6. This is promise. Be faithful, pursue faithful obedience. All of this is a, a result, a byproduct of Abraham's faith and obedience to the instruction of the Lord. Verse 6, so Isaac settled in Greer. Verse 7, when the men of the place asked him about his wife. As I read these words, a familiar feeling arises in my stomach. And if you're familiar with the story, or if you were, if you were listening, as Trevor was, was reading, you know, you know why. A couple of weeks ago, Courtney and I went to, uh, we went to the city to just kind of enjoy a night out with friends. We kind of did the uh, little dinner at Crog Street, right, which I would totally encourage, like wonderful food out there. We uh, went on a, a little walk. We went to uh, Pont City Market, which perhaps some of you guys are familiar with. Like, it was a beautiful night, great night to get out. It's Saturday evening. Hadn't kind of been out without kids in a while, like with friends. And so we said, hey, we are taking it to the A, right? So we, we go to the city. We see the sights. Round out the night, get a cup of coffee at, at Pont City. And as we, as we pull in, we quickly notice, if you're familiar, you might have been to Pont City Market before. Raise your hand. Okay. So as we, we pull in, we notice fairly quickly that uh, the lower the lower outside lot is totally full. It's like no parking spots. It's kind of crazy. There's a lot of moving people around, right? And so we say, we're taking it to the parking deck. 
which is a great parking deck at Pond City, right? I feel like I'm like a cement contractor, and I'm like really like just enjoying their work, right, at this point. But so we, we go into the parking deck, and we park. It's really tight. We're in a, a, some friends of ours. We're in their vehicle. It's pretty big. Um, so we, we find an open spot. We pull in and begin to all unload. We've got bags. We've got things we got to get, cell phones on the charger, handed to me. You guys know how it works. And as we're, we're all getting out, we're, we're standing there, we're talking, and there's a car that's parked uh, just in front of us, kind of like that next spot in front and over. And they're parked right next to this big concrete pillar with, like, I mean, it's blue paint, like, on it. Like, not just, like, blue, but, like, blue. Like, blue, bright blue paint so you can see it. She gets into her car, and it's a nice car, new car. I'm sitting here, and I'm watching as we're talking, and I, start, I begin to notice her backing up. She's leaving. She's out. She's done her thing, right? And she backs out a lot like I do. Okay, like I'm worried about people behind me. I'm like, I don't want to run anybody over, man. Nothing ruins a Friday night like running over a pedestrian in a parking deck. Okay, <laughs> so so she's pulling out and she's got her wheel cut right. She's looking, nobody's coming. Everything's going well. I'm well on my way. I'm almost home at this point, right? And I notice as I'm standing here, I notice that she's got her wheel cut and her front end is like. It's coming at this pole, okay? Like, it's going to happen. And I'm standing there, and I'm watching it. And, like, the, uh, my, our friends, their backs are turned to us. And I'm, like, I'm literally going, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, this is about to be bad. I'm saying it out loud. Like, not to myself, not in my head. They're, like, what are you doing? Kurt's having a stroke. We're not quite sure what's happening here. And, like, without fail. Like, I mean, I saw it coming. I even reached out. Ah, like, stop. Like, I tried to. Like, no, no, no. Like, you want to do things? Man, she just, like pulverized the right front end of her car on this pole. Just like, I mean, broken things. Like, you just hear things breaking. Cha-ching! Right? Cha-ching, cha-ching! I mean, it's just like money, like falling out of, of, of the door of her car at this point, right? It was so bad, she had to like, she had to pull back up. She couldn't continue. It would have just completely disconnected the entire front end of her car from like, well, if she would have just continued or just brought the parking deck down on all of us. They all would have died, okay? That's how dire the situation was. She pulls back up, she gets out, and I'm like, I can't even look. Like, I'm like, right here, she knows, you know, you know that she knows that we saw what happened. And I'm just like, I can't even look at you. Like, I'm like empathizing with you. I feel so bad for you, but you're on your own. Like, I can't, I can't connect here with this, right? We walk away. I spent the next, like, 15 minutes talking about it. Ask Courtney, like, it's just something, it's a problem that I have. So, I was just talking about, I can't believe that happened. As we come out of this first part of verse 7, I have this very familiar feeling in my stomach. Similar to watching this lady like bring the Pond City parking deck down on all of us. This is familiar territory for, for many of us who remember Abraham's sin as he denied his wife, Sarah. Fearful. Of what might happen to him given her her beauty and the apparent lack of fear of the Lord in this particular community. Surely, surely we are not going to go there. But we begin to see it happen. Right? I'm reaching out. <laughs> I was reading this this past week and I'm just, I know it's coming. And every time I'm just like, please, please don't do it. <laughs> please Stop. 
especially in light of this, this most recent exposition of the importance and benefit of obedience. Right? Surely you will, you will move forward in obedience. That's not what happened. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife. Thinking, least the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca. Because she was attractive in appearance. So he lied. Verse 8. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Abimelech sniffs this thing out. Verse 9. He called Isaac and he said, Wait! <laughs> right? Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say, She is my sister? This family has this awful track record of lying in like really familiar circumstance. Isaac said to him, because I thought, at least I die because of her. Wow. Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the the people might easily have, have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. Right? Again, it appears, whether this is the same Abimelech, or this is, this is like kin to Abimelech, whatever it kind of looks like. Right? There's this recognition of, of sin, and it's danger. It only continues on in verse 11. So Abimelech warned all of the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. There's this connection between, between sin and death. In this familiar scene, we see Isaac deny his wife, fearful that he might lose his life on account of her. Right? If God desires for his people obedience, clearly this is not that. Then as a result, right, it would be fair that we might imagine that, that any hope of blessing is now off of the table. If there's this connection between blessing and obedience, then what do we do when we observe this just egregious sin from Isaac. What are we to think? What are we to believe? Well, blessing is over. That might be what we think, right? That would be fair. Only we find that reality is much sweeter than we anticipate. Look at me in verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and, and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him 
And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and, and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Get this, amid famine and fear and disobedience and contention, as we're going to observe in just a few moments, God remains committed. God remains committed. You see, the gospel says that your behavior does not guarantee blessing. That is, you know, material possession, the acquisition of wealth, etc. Even God's presence. In the same way that our obedience matters to God, we find that our disobedience does not negate the covenant faithfulness of God. Did you get that? Our disobedience does not negate the covenant faithfulness of God. Matt Barrett says it like this. The gospel depends on a God who does not depend on you. Surprisingly, scandalously, shockingly, in spite of Isaac's deception and sin, God chooses to bless him. Despite the fact that God has every right to what? Well, to judge. Right? To, to, to judge Isaac's evil and his corruption. What we find through this is that God's blessing and favor is associated with those who belong to this most unique lineage. Like Abraham, Isaac prospers because the gospel gives gospel status, even here. His blessing is, is the benefit, ultimately, of Christ extended here in Genesis chapter 26. In spite of his behavior, Isaac is what? He is blessed. This is God's promise. And this, is, this is God's promise. His identity, Isaac's identity, is not determined by his behavior, despite the fact that behavior does serve as evidence of who and whose we are. While our, our behavior does not guarantee blessing, what we find here is that God's goodness and Christ's work does. Look with me at verse 17. We're continuing through the story. We're going to begin to wrap things up. So Isaac departed from there and he encamped in the valley of Greer and he settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had, had stopped after the death of Abraham. There's a number of different opinions as to why the wells were filled up to perhaps prevent squatters from hanging out on the land, right? Maybe this belief that as Abraham has passed on so uh, kind of ends our role in this, in this covenant connection, and so we fill the wells up. Nonetheless, we see that they're, they're, they're re-digging them, and he gave them the names that his father had given them. Verse 19, but when Isaac's servant dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Greer quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. Right? There's this contention, there's this conflict. So he called the name of the well Isaac because they contended with him. Verse 21, then they dug another well. Man, get the shovels out. Bring everybody out from town. We're digging wells. They quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. 
And he moved from there, and he dug another well, and they, they did not quarrel over it. So he called his name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Verse 23, From there he went to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not. For what? There is this familiar refrain. For I am with you. And will bless you and, and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Verse 25. So he built an altar there. Man, the covenant faithfulness of God produces a certain response within his people. Do you get this? We see it here in verse 25. So he built an altar there, he called upon the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servant dug a well. The Lord's covenant faithfulness, his generosity and his compassion, his commitment and his mission leads his people to erect an altar and to worship him. Verse 26, when Abimelech went to him from, from Beer with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Pickle, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me saying that you, you hate me and sent me away from you? And the kings of the world acting differently, right, than the, the, the king of creation. Verse 28. They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. You are prospering. The Lord is, is blessing you. So we said, let there be a, a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and, and let us make a, a covenant with you. That you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and not done to, to you nothing that is nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the, the blessed of the Lord, verse 30. So he made them a feast, and they ate, and they drank, verse 31, in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. Verse 32, that same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug, and said to him, listen, we have found water. Through this passage, we see, we see God's commitment to His Word. And we see God's commitment to His Word. We see the blessing of Isaac, despite his very gospel opposite acts. We observe from Isaac distrust and deceit and fear. We observe from Isaac a failure to trust in and believe God and His promise to bless him. An act that ought to inspire bold obedience, pleasing to the Lord as it flows out of our faith in Jesus. What we see is that it actually has the, the opposite effect. Whereas Christ in, in the garden and on the cross displays this unwavering obedience to the Father and great love for his bride, the church, Isaac counts his interest as more valuable than hers. And as is always the case, Isaac's sin finds him out. 
And he's confronted by Abimelech. Yet in, in spite of his obvious and egregious acts, it appears as though God overlooks this, choosing instead to what? To bless him. His continued presence and the blessing of material good along with a successful well dig in the desert. God gives water. However, as we prepare to come to the table, we need to be really clear on a few points. Number one, the sin of Isaac does not go unpunished. Here we see, we see blessing, don't we? Surprising, scandalous blessing. But it's a sin that's not going punished. And instead, in this scene, for the sake of his name, God's name, God chooses to look beyond Isaac as the object of the punishment that he deserves to Christ. The only, truly faithful son who takes on himself God's punishing of sin. So that, get this, Isaac and we might know blessing. In addition, the, the blessing that flows from, from faithful obedience is a byproduct, not ultimately of the faithfulness of Abraham, but the faithfulness of Abraham made possible through the covenant commitment of God. So while we have these, these two big ideas, right, Blessing as a result of faithful obedience. Christian, take heart. Your faithfulness is not in vain. And blessing in spite of human disobedience. Christian, do not be dismayed. We see them brought together, both being true, as Jesus is despised for our sake. The sinless and perfectly obedient Son of God takes the punishment for our sins on himself. We articulate this reality each week as we recite together the Apostles' Creed. Our affirmation in this, as God's people, as, as Christians, there's this, this emphasis that is placed on what Christ absorbs upon the cross, what he takes on himself at the cross for you and I. Uh, Hunter and I had a great conversation at the corner just a couple of, uh, just a couple of days ago about this, this very idea and this concept that ought to serve to encourage God's people, that draws us into a deeper understanding of what Christ experiences as our sin is laid on him. Hell for his people. <laughs> right? Momentary separation from the Father and the weight of sin and God's judgment for disobedience. Jesus swallows the sting of death for us. And so this morning, as we close out our time together, as we come to the table, as we do each week, let us be reminded of this fact, right? That the, the cost of our rescue, great grace, compassion, and generosity of God, observable through the cross of Christ and the hope of the resurrection, the assurance of his presence with his people, something that we enjoy in a most unique manner as we come here each week taking up the bread and the cup 
enjoying fellowship not only with one another, but divine fellowship. Why? Because the promise and the assurance that God lays out for Isaac here in Genesis chapter 26 continues. Right, God is with his people. And so as we come to the table today, let us, let us embrace this reality. Right, that that in, our, in our faithfulness and in our failure, the Lord is faithful. Why? Because he is a covenant-keeping God. Right, who, who resides within his people by way of his spirit. So that as we come and we enjoy this, this meal that serves as a foretaste. This is just the beginning. Right? This is just the beginning. We can know and rest assured that as we see God communicating here to Isaac, his presence, that the same rings true for you and I. As God's people, we are indwelt by his presence leading us and empowering us to live obedient lives to the glory of God. As we seek to, to make the name of Jesus known. Living mission here, in this community, in our homes, in our schools, right? Coming out of D now, feeling good, a little tired, but ready to go back into it, right? We also rest in this reality. The covenant faithfulness of God is desire for us to lean into and pursue, pursue faithful obedience, confident, ultimately, in the work of Jesus, his work for us. Hey, let's pray.